welcome to Orange Shower. I am your host, Danya Craddock. We have a great author here for you today. Onshore is a show dedicated to literary fiction from mystery, romance, crime, you name it. We're going to bring it onshore from those Sia books out there. We bring it onshore so we can get close and acquainted with the plot, the theme, the storyline, all the contemporary issues that surround literature today. We bring it onshore. Um, today, our, our guest is Afia Atakara. I did that thing, you guys. Afia Atakara. Um, she was born in the United Kingdom where she now lives. She graduated from New York University and has an MFA from Columbia University where she was the recipient of the Diablo Fellowship. Her fiction has been nominated for a Pushcart Prize and she was a finalist for the Hurston Wright Award for College Writers. Before I bring her out, you know, you guys, I just want to get a post check on my people out there. If you want to call and have questions for um, Afia Atakara, call 972-427-7795. Or if you want to just talk about how we all surviving out in the literary community, we are doing our things, trying to making sure we still stay relevant among COVID-19. COVID-19 is doing something to us, you guys. But what it is is giving us a chance, an opportunity to read, to read more, to enjoy literature. You know, sometimes you have to break away from, you know, today TV is consumed with crime stories, crime this, crime that, and all kind of stuff. But you can break away and get back into your own mind, get back into your own creativity by reading a great book. Books take you places. Book takes you so many different destinations. Book is a great escape. It's a great mind escape. Um, and like I said, Onshore is dedicated to looking at those sealed books and bringing it to you, giving you some ideas to really sit down and just read a great book. And you know what? This show is supported by the Doc Bookshop. And let me tell you, if you cannot sit down and read, uh, if you don't have the physical book, you can get the ebook and you can get the audio book. We have all of that. So please log on to www.thedocbookshop.com dot com and that's www.thedocbookshop.com and you can get all your whatever you need literary and if we don't have it go ahead and call um the doc bookshop at 817-457-5700 that's 817-457-5700 now i again you guys stay safe out there stay healthy enjoy this show because it's a great escape and we have a great author for you today um let me go ahead and get ready to bring her up afia atakara are you with us i am hello thank hello. you so much for having me yes and we are going to talk about her book conjure women and I just want to say that book right there, I had the chance to sit down and read Conjure Women. And I think nobody put it better than uh-huh. Neil Furtenberger. When, he's the author of Lost and Wanted. And he wrote, if you are grieving for Toni Morrison, Afir Atakara is a young writer to read now. The kind of historical novelist who makes you believe she must have somehow seen the places she described and known these characters herself. Her astonishing debut takes the reader to a Reconstruction era, era Southern plantation where two little girls, the enslaved child of a local healer and the planter's cloistered daughter, become unlikely friends. Conjure Women illuminates an unfamiliar 
corner of Civil War history and brings to life an indebitable character whose talents from midwifery to Buddha will yield her own unconventional path to power and freedom. I think that is just quite, that's just the best way I could describe this and introduce our debut author, yeah. um, Atakara. I, I think I, I mastered the last name. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tricky one. It's tricky. Yeah. Atakara. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay. We got it. Yeah, with that. Mm-hmm. So with I want I mean, to compare it to Mars and Huh? Oh, yeah, that's amazing. Especially, especially you are a debut author. So, and Conjure Woman is your debut novel. How would you describe Conjure Woman? Yeah, so the, I mean, that's an amazing description. Um, it definitely is told through a tight narrative braid of before the Civil War and after the Civil War, and it focuses especially on the years uh, right after freedom came for slaves and sort of what psychologically and emotionally that looked like to them. Okay, great. And so you had to put together a lot of research before you even started, you know, developing your characters, developing <laughs> your thing. Yes, talk to us about your research. Yeah, a lot of research. Um, I started with a lot of old books, a lot of online research, a lot of archives. For me, it was all about getting that real personal narrative, getting first-hand accounts. It was a lot of diaries, a lot of um, abolitionist work of the time period to sort of really get that voice and really get those emotions. Okay, so how long did it take you just to really study and do a lot of research before you even put the book together? Mm -hmm. So in college, I had studied, um, I studied screenwriting, but I also studied African-American history. I took every class that I could at school to really just get a comprehensive overview because I felt like I had not had that education, you know, growing up. So it was just an interest for me. So that's where it started, never realizing I would write a book about it. And then later on, um, while getting my MFA, I realized this is a time period, uh, the Reconstruction era that I really wanted to focus on. So I had some of that knowledge, and then it was just about digging deeper. Okay, and in during the Reconstruction period, you have, you know, the enslaved society were trying to get their life back together, and they were trying to reimagine their future, where they needed to go. Um, John Hope, I don't know if you had a chance to read John Hope Franklin. He wrote that the Reconstruction period was a time for African Americans reclaimed themselves reclaim their 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 future um because they have come from an atrocious mm -hmm. past and so you take these characters and shape these characters so you have um Mabella, you have Verena and you have Rue talk about those different characters mm -hmm. yeah so uh the main character is Rue and she is uh she exists in what I called freedom time so it's those years right after the civil war and she is the healer and the midwife in this town of isolated slaves. Um, that's sort of, it's in the South in a sort of unnamed area that's been forgotten by other people. So they live in this isolation where they're hoping to not sort of be discovered, to not be noticed, um, and grappling with what freedom means for them. So she tends to them, uh, babies being born, sicknesses, death. She's sort of in charge of all of that. And she, uh, uses the 
the teachings from her mother, who was also the midwife during slavery and during the Civil War, um, who's Miss Maybell, as you mentioned. And so she's, Rue is sort of grappling with the education that her mother had given her and how to apply it to the present day. And then lastly, we have Marina, who is uh, the white daughter of the master. And in Rue's childhood, she has sort of a close relationship with Verena, but it becomes contentious as they get older and sort of understand their roles. And so all these things are sort of grappling with each other um, as the story moves forward. And I want you to real quick talk about the parallels here. The parallels being, uh, you know, what they brought forward with them after Reconstruction and versus what they've learned over the generations, generations. So when I say that I'm so in an ancient African or African uh, traditional societies, how much do you think that was brought over into the after Reconstruction mm-hmm. period? Mm-hmm. I mean, so much. I mean, that's sort of where I started my interest in the book because I, I'm, uh, I was born in England, grew up in America. My parents are from Ghana. Uh, in West Africa. So they had these traditions that seemed familiar to me and to the Southern traditions of, you know, folk healing and sort of these rituals, voodoo, hoodoo, juju, whatever you want to call it in each region, um, was sort of the ideas that I was brought up with and the stories that existed in Echo, both in West Africa and in the American South. And so for me, it was like, okay, how do these things, how do these stories, how did these traditions remain intact through so much, right? Through all the adversity, through all the struggles, through death and loss, how did we keep those traditions alive? And so that was sort of the thread for the story. Um, What do you pass down? What do you teach your daughter? What do you remember from your mother that maybe you apply differently to your life? And so that was very much the framework um, for what the novel became. And I want to say, and I want you to touch on this, especially in the times that mm-hmm. we are today, right before, right before I got on a call with you, I was um, taken aback by how many people, and we're dealing with women, you guys, women, and we're dealing with social issues, female relationships, and mm-hmm. all those different things, and, you know, first periods, everything, you know. What, what what women mm-hmm. may understand, what men can learn, basically, and vice versa. <laughs> so, but, <laughs> but we, you know, watching the news, they have, you know, they talk about midwifery, and a lot of that, you know, mm-hmm. I'm looking for a midwife. I'm trying to keep my baby safe. So it's almost a, a a 360 of everybody wanting to go back to this midwife and this. Um, the relationship to midwife. So kind of talk about that midwife relationship and the challenges of midwife and coming of age and learning that skill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so especially in this time period, again, after the Civil War, there was, you know, sort of a backlash against women and folk healing, um, especially by the U.S. government against sort of these natural activities, right? They wanted you to come to a hospital. They wanted you to be seen by a white doctor, be treated with patent medicine. Um, So that is also something that figures into the novel is Rue sort of trying to retain her skills um, in a world that that didn't think they were important or didn't think they were valuable or thought they were evil even. Um, And so I think now we're sort of seeing some of the same backlash, especially with what's going on 
right now <laughs> with the medical community where we sort of feel like we're not getting the best care. And it's, it's like, how do you look back at these traditions and see how women have related to medical society? One thing for me that was a big part of the book was reading um, Jay Sims, who there was a big controversy a couple years back where he was a medical doctor who did a lot of experiments on black women and on black slaves. Um, and he wrote extensively about it. And it's, I mean, it's an important resource, but it was also cruel and, you know, barbaric. And so looking at that and sort of the relationship that women, black women have had with the medical structure in the U.S. was a big part of, you know, I think a big part of where we are today and how we're sort of looking at other resources because we've been failed by some of the resources in this country. Yeah, so all of that is at play. <laughs> yeah, and I, I want to say I, you know, I read really quickly, and I want to say you open up with with kind of this segment on dealing with midwife and giving birth, and kind of understanding that. And I want to say Rue at one time, like a lot of young people, she was not really interested, or she did not really mm-hmm. understand the power. So how did she eventually? You know, and I don't want to tell too much because let me tell you something, guys. I really <laughs> want you to go out and get this book. I don't, you know, you don't want to uncover everything because I don't, I'm, I don't want to tell the punchline because it is a magnificent story. It is a great story, and it is a story mm-hmm. that you know, if you take away certain thing, it is relevant to our time and how we solve and deal with social um, issues. And so, um, mm-hmm. and it's it's constantly understanding the people that came out of the construction period. So. Conjure Women is very much a great read, but I really want you to go back and just kind of help us understand why Rue, you know, was so apprehensive um, and what was her turning point. Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to that mother-daughter relationship, (coughs) right, that everyone has where you think you're young, you don't think your mother knows everything, she lives in a different time, right, it's sort of this universal struggle of how can I apply what my mother is teaching me and is she right all the time? And I think Rue's journey in the story is sort of growing up and having the experiences that her mother had and learning, okay, the lessons she tried to teach me are relevant and there are ways that I can apply them and still sort of be true to my own experience. And so I think Rue does a lot of growing up. It's a coming of age novel as much as it is as much as it is about healing, it's also about sort of her healing her relationship with her mother. Okay. And I and I think you put that perfectly, a coming of age. <laughs> and th- now let's yeah. let's dive into her relationship with um Verena. And that was a ch- I think yeah. oh my God, if I remember they were they were babies together and that's how she can age her because she didn't have that birthday we weren't given those birthday or understood our birthday so her with raising with that child she understands that was her age that was her age and time frame but let's talk about mm-hmm. about rue and verena if for those that don't know and that have not read the book i'm just going to tell you a piece verena is their mistress daughter and so she they have mm-hmm. a dynamic they have a relationship there and I do help the reader understand their relationship yeah so I think in my research I sort of looked at um, the relationships between black children on the plantation and the white uh, master's children on the plantation and for a long time they grew up together they played together right they didn't immediately understand the differences between them Um, 
but just like all of us, there are these moments where Rue begins to understand that she's different from Verena, that she's being treated differently, that she has different expectations put on her, and that even though they're friends, there's always going to be this distance between them where Verena is ultimately going to grow up to become her master. Um, and then slavery happens, and that doesn't that doesn't happen in the way that she thought it would, but Verena still has this hold on her. Um, and so I think that's their friendship is fraught because it comes from this innocent place of children, right? But it also is shaped by society and the women that they are forced to grow up and be. Perfect, perfect, perfect. And I want to <laughs> say at one particular time, Verena, she was, I, at one particular time, she was sort of deceitful, do you think? Or were you trying to paint that? Because at one time, her, I think it was Ma, Ma Mado, I can't remember. And mm -hmm. she would say, you know, yeah. stay away from her. She is not your mm -hmm. friend. Why do you think, you know, and as children, they don't, they don't understand. But what about right. my doe said, hey, you cannot stay away from her. You, just, mm -hmm. you know, and just explain that whole dynamic right there. Yeah, I think it goes back again to those differences of understanding who you are and, and what the world looks like, especially I think for young black children, that was a focus for me, especially writing the book, is when do you discover racism and when do you discover inequality um, and how do you deal with it when you didn't really understand it growing up and you thought you, you had a friend. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and on Verena's end, I think she is sort of, for me, a character that I got to explore, okay, what are the views of white people? How do they come into these situations of power dominance? You know, it's not all, you know, one thing or another. It's not all black and white, right? It's these these roles that they are also put into, um, and how do they relate to black people or people that they're told are different from them or less than them? And so it was an exploration of of how does society shape you, and how does especially our U.S. history shape who we are and how we you know, retain relationships with each other. I want to also um, segue into um, just the relationship with the community, dealing with relationship with the community during that particular time period. Mm -hmm. And in your work, to me, when you were writing, everything appeared to be so symbolic in some shape, form, or fashion. Right. And every everywhere you were trying to make a point. And I picked up... Um, Verena had gotten where Rue was able to get out in the middle of the night, um, and I, they made it through the woods and what have you, and they walked past, I don't, I want to say, it for lack of a better, juke joint, I don't know if you would call that after the, yeah, I guess, but the music that was playing was, I got a, I got a right to life, y'all got a right to life, mm -hmm. I got a right to the tree of life, what were you trying to convey yeah. to the reader? Yeah, I think folk music is a big part of the book, right? It's, it's part of the African-American tradition, as well as stories and sort of uh, tales that we pass down. Like, it has that similar sort of repercussion through society. And so with that symbolism specifically, I think it was about sort of the resistance and the places that you get to talk about resisting uh, society. You might not get to say it out loud. You might not get to say it to the master, but you get to say it in song. And so, especially for Rue and Verena to hear that song in that moment was 
an awakening and, and something that they would experience differently. Right. And I want to, you know, I picked up on all the kind of little stuff. And I want to also say, There's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you may hinder me here, but you will not hinder mm. me there. God in heaven is going to answer my prayer. So at, that gives me a feeling still after reconstruction, we're still dealing with this stronghold, of course. Um, nothing happens overnight of just wanting to be free and looking at life right. differently. And so I, I guess how would you, what was your goal in putting that passage there? Yeah, I think faith is important. Mm-hmm. <coughs> I have allergies. I can't even my mouth. <laughs> uh, faith is an important part of, of the coping mechanism, right? It was, right, there's heaven. There's a place where you are not going to be ruled over by anybody. So that was one aspect. Um, the other aspect is sort of defining um, what freedom looks like and trying to sort of hold on to the definition of what you think your freedom should look like. Even when freedom is handed to you, it's not as if you get to go out and you forget about the past, right? Again, the repercussions last for generations. They still have a hold on us now. And so I think it's about remembering that you get to define what your freedom is and you have to work for it. Right. I want to say um, the irony of all this is you, you have this, you have them hear this and hear these subliminal messages. And then at the end, of mm-hmm. they're drinking whiskey. Then he's, you know, he, you know they, <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Red Jack or I can't. Yeah. Red Jack, one of the characters. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. He had, you know, the irony of it, which is still plays a part in today. Traditional, that tradition of you're one handy elevating yourself and then the next thing good or bad you're dealing and dealing with through probably whiskey and you know it's Mm -hmm. amazingly how you (laughs) the irony of that so but we won't dive there you guys you gotta go get the book and you know it's a lot of twists and turns very good writing um a very important theme and what was what was the most surprising thing you learned while writing conjure women I think the most surprising thing for me was just seeing all the different ways I could tell the story mm-hmm. of slavery, right? I think we kind of put it into a box where we think there's one story and one time period. And all these experiences are different. All these people have rich lives that aren't just defined by being slaves. And so just diving into their stories and their diaries, for me, the research was illuminating to just see that these are people, you know, they, they have whole experiences and they shouldn't be limited to just this one definition of slavery exactly i want to i want to step back and really go into that particular place that particular society as a whole Mm -hmm. what type of society was it that they were living in down in down in the south that society the different environment and how they move how did they move within that environment after reconstruction so I, I created a, a town that doesn't specifically exist, right? It, it could be anywhere. Right. Um, so it is about sort of the limitations, the isolation, the fear of going beyond your society because that is the only place they've ever known. So in the story, they still live on the plantation, mm-hmm. even though, they again, they have their freedom, they can leave. They stay on the plantation in the South. And I think 
partly because of their isolation, they get to keep a lot of their culture at the same time. And so that's where sort of the African traditions come into play. There's a, a long memory there that gets to be retained because it hasn't been changed by the outside world too much. And so I think there's also a fear of leaving and then, you know, sort of contaminating what is pure. And so it's this, this war against you leave, you stay. Um, ultimately, you know, the Reconstruction era ends because of the Jim Crow era where um, the KKK develops power, they're hounded, there's lynchings, and so they begin to move up north. Um, and that's sort of where the book slowly starts to, you know, divulge. Um, but up until that time, it was about it was about holding on to your history, and the history was here. It was in that land. And you mentioned, yeah, that history in that land. And we talked, we touched on it a little bit earlier, and, but I want you to just kind of go a little bit deeper. Um, when you deal with land, you're dealing with plants, and you're dealing with herbs, and there are many medicinal plants and herbs that appear in the book. Can you elaborate on which one you choose to include and why? Mm-hmm. So for me, I didn't know uh, half as much as I would get to know <laughs> in doing the research about plants and herbs and sort of. There was at the time that I was writing a couple years ago sort of this resurgence of returning again to sort of natural healing. So I got to, in the process of writing the book, learn a lot about um, herbs and, and nature and sort of things that we've been using for centuries and we're using again today. Um, but as, as far as inclusion into the book, for me it was a lot about, um, again, folk stories, what what herbs appear in folk stories, what have religious names, so like Christ the Redeemer is a plant, you know, um, Mother Mary is the name of a plant, that's sort of these like uh, symbolic titles that seem to, to hold a special um, power. So I wanted to sort of echo that, echo the plant names and the sort of reverence that they have in the community. Wow, that is that is powerful. And you just have to read a book because, <laughs> <laughs> again, you know, a lot of us are a lot of us are so into herbs and you're like, wow, I could use it for that. Wow. I, could, I didn't, you know, all mm-hmm. those are, are everything has come full circle. You know, I was listening to. Uh, yes. My my mother today, they were talking about going outside, play, you know, everything becomes simple again. Going outside, planning. What can I do to keep the rabbits away? My aunt said, hey, wrap it up mm-hmm. in marigold. And so I'm like, I'm hearing this conversation and reading your finishing up the book at the same time. And I'm like, right. wow, some of that conversation is still into play today in somewhat different shape or form but trying to get back mm-hmm. to those roots getting back to understanding getting back to what things heal and what things hurt and what things hurt help the environment um and protect yeah. your product um what do you mm-hmm. hope what do you hope um readers would take away from this book what do you hope they would say hey after reading this book yeah, I feel like you really touched on it. There's a lot of twists and turns. There's a lot of secrets. Um, it's a heavy topic, but there's also a lot to unpack and discover. And so I feel like it's going to create a lot of conversation. Like I want it to be the kind of book you read, and then you call up someone and you say, oh, you know what I read today? Like, this is crazy. Like, you got to look at this part. Like, that's the kind of energy that I love in a book. So that's what I wanted to create while writing. It's just that, did you see that page? Like, how can we discuss that? And what does that mean to each individual person? And I'm happy you brought that up. So we would like, I don't if you have 
a part of the book that you can read uh, or share, huh? <laughs> sure. Okay. While you while you get the page together, I'm just going to go and take a little little break, and we will come back mm-hmm. for you to read part of Conjure Women by Afia Atakara. You are on our shore. We are we are talking to the author, Afia Atakara, and she has just been a great guest today for us on our shore, talking about her new book, her debut novel, uh, Conjure Women, and she is just sharing with her 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 characters, her plot, her theme, and it's just an amazing book. The different conflicts and just sit down and take this book in because it'll take you on a journey it'll take you away from all this negative all these things are in the environment and just look at how a community survived through the understanding of who they are the people and bringing their traditions forward so we are back on with Afia Atakara in her book Conjure Women and she is going she's about to read to us a certain part of the book all right, this section is Slavery Time, 1854. Miss Maybell had used to turn coin on hoodooing. As a slave woman, she made her name and her money by crafting curses. More profit to be made in curses than in her work mixing healing tinctures. More praise to be found in revenge than in burning babies. In Slavery Time, a white overseer had his whip, and a white patrolman had his hounds, and a white speculator had his auction block, and your white master had your name on a deed of sale somewhere in his house, or so he claimed. But those things were afflictions for the battered, burnt, bruised body only. Curses were for the sin-sick soul and made most terrifying because of it. Hoodoo, Miss Maybell said, is black folks' currency. So that's a little section there. Wow, you know... <laughs> You know what? I could, I could literally have you on this show all day because we, you know what? We didn't even talk about the curses, and it brought to my mind when she was <laughs> <laughs> when she was talking to um, what is it? Red Jack, Red Jack, Tall Jack, mm-hmm. Red Jack. When he, you know, Red Jack at Red one Jack. point, and it's 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 a quite a few of them in there, but he he she told him he kissed her. She said, "Why did you kiss me while we were down there at the?" club or whatever he said well miss barina she mm-hmm. told me to kiss you and then he decided to kiss her again and then they continued to do mm-hmm. their duty of ringing the bell because one of the ministers said oh gosh i'm telling too much of the story but anyway i'll stop i'll stop <laughs> but <laughs> they had to ring the bell like no, 40 no, times no. okay they had to read the bell like mm-hmm. 40 sometimes you guys get a book because you're gonna it's interesting why they had to read the bell is it's always some new discoveries that's going on in post-civil war and people in terms of how society exists existed or how we reimagine society but anyway, um, 
Mm-hmm. She talked about. She said, "You, if you ever do that again, you're gonna turn into. I can't remember what she said. And then your lips will never be the same. And so he said, when he seen her from then on, he would say, "Hi, how you doing? Have a great day, or something like that." <laughs> so, so tell, just tell us a, a few of the curses that are in the book. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I I did a lot of research on this too, and a lot of these are real <laughs> real curses. Um, you know, there are a lot of voodoo dolls. There was a lot of use of um, bringing your bed with salt or pepper. Um, hair is a big tool. <laughs> uh, nails, you know, different parts of the body that were used. Um, lots of animal traditions. Uh, all these things from different cultures that come up again and again. Right, and they 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 merge together, right? And you you have mm-hmm. you know from these like you said, your family's from Ghana, not so much Ghana yeah. versus you know Haiti and the islands. You know, you had just a different mix of African, and so and I say this to say that I don't know one of my other favorite writers. I don't know you you study history and you study literature, and so you know Zora Hurston, she wrote the Voodoo. Okay. I think she, yeah, she had gotten a literary war to go study in Haiti and that's when she learned a lot mm-hmm. about the voodoo and the voodoo tradition and even zombies and even had to cope with plantation life and how they use that to cope yeah. with plantation life so it's amazing that you kind of bring that into the that women's the women's world because we always look and say you know like people just they were just slaves with no knowledge, no 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 history, no culture. But a lot of these mm-hmm. have culture, and they pass it down from generation to generation. And so here you yeah. have these societies that have really maintained certain things, whereas we label it, you know, to fear it. But it is something that says, hey, this is a part of our su- survival and where we are today. Mm-hmm. So it's amazing that you bring that in in this next generation. So I really, really appreciate your work. And like I said, you guys, um, if you go, this show is supported by the Doc Bookshop, but if you go to the website, you can definitely get this book, um, www.thedocbookshop, and we have it. We have it less cheaper than Amazon. I know everybody has this infatuation with mm-hmm. Amazon, but we're trying to keep the independent bookstore open and what have you. So, again, any okay. I, I want to thank Randall House, Penguin Randall House, for allowing you to come on the show today because um, they didn't have to, for one. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's this thing with the independent bookstore right now and the survival of the independent mm-hmm. bookstore. And so it is really great when you have great books out there, great writers out there that can come and share with the independent bookstore to really just get people our whole uh, overall goal, right? Is to increase readers, right? And to get people reading the book and appreciating that written mm-hmm. word. And so, again, we want to say thank you to uh, up here at the, at the car. <laughs> I, I was doing good the whole show, right? You got it. You got it. Takara, you know, I was doing very good mm-hmm. the whole show. So, um, before I let you go, is there anything else you want to share with us about the characters, the theme, the plot? You know, anything that I could have maybe left out, even if you want to talk a little bit about, you know, some of the curses, the hoodoo, the voodoo, mm-hmm. the santeria that's all covered into mm-hmm. this particular time period. Yeah, no, I feel like you covered it amazing. <laughs> I mean, it is this, it's this exploration of, like, who we are, right? How do we deal with problems? How do we deal with sickness? Um, 
and sort of what strength comes out of that, what healing comes out of that. And so I feel like I didn't know the time period that we were going to find ourselves in when this book came out, but I feel like it it hopefully will bring some comfort, distraction, entertainment to people um, in this kind of crazy world. And I wanted to say definitely debut authors, independent bookstores, they are holding us together right now. So thank you so much for having me on. It's, it's everything. It really is. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And, you know, again, I, we got a couple of book clubs around here, so I hope they can really pick up this book. I know I'm going to pitch it to mm-hmm. a couple of books, book clubs, and so maybe I could come out and talk about your book because I love going out to different yeah. book clubs and talking about books. And so um, this gives us an opportunity to just really dive in, conjure women, and kind of see um what we can do, how we can share this world, how we can sit down and talk about it and, you know, maybe invite and have some of those book clubs to see if they can invite you out or what have you. But again, you have, you have done an amazing job with this here today on Onshore. And again, please get this book, go to www.thedocbookshop.com. How can they follow you? Because there are some other ways and, you know, um, that people can support you? What is your website or how can they connect with you and just tell you or provide feedback about the book? Yeah, I love social media, especially now. You know, I didn't get to go to a book tour. I didn't get to come out to stores like I would love to do, but people can reach out virtually and it's amazing to see that sort of feedback. So Twitter, at Afia Takara. Uh, Instagram is a big one. I love showing pictures. I love seeing other people holding the book. Um, also at Asia Attacker. So yeah, just message me there. I love talking to people. And yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. We 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 are we enjoyed the show Thank today. I, I think this is I think everybody's gonna be really pleased with this book. I think it's just one of those reads that's gonna just, you know, go against the test of times and um again, Afia Attackera, thank you for joining on shore today. Thank you for having me. Okay, we were just on with Afia Attackera who talked about her book, Conjure Women. It was a great discussion. She is a great writer, you guys. I just could not put the book down. So please get this book, enjoy it, and let's talk about it. Read it, and let's talk about it. If you have a book club out there and you choose to have this one of your book reads, please, please invite me so we can just discuss it. I I just want to hear everybody's feedback. There's only so many books that we can talk about throughout the year or throughout the month. And these are just one of those books. And I said, hey, let's start a discussion. And as most people know, I love history. I love historical novels and what have you. But I I, I just like books, period, when it's all said and done. Because every book has a certain takeaway, especially when you're a reader. Everybody's not a writer. So that's why we need a lot of readers out here to enjoy these great works so again um visit www.thedocbookshop that supports onshore and um, you can visit their facebook page and like their facebook page and you can also visit their twitter their instagram for updates on upcoming authors um the next author we have on onshore is untamed Untamed will be on our show this Saturday at 10 a.m. So please tune in and listen to Untamed. Thank you for listening to Onshore on Doc Radio.